Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. Over the past two years, the art world's been through a lot. That's especially been the case for galleries. Initially, they closed, and it seemed like business completely halted. They were physically closed, and they had to quickly adapt to a life without a gallery space. Most proved to be very agile. The market quickly recovered, and galleries are thriving again today. We wanted to chat with a gallery owner about their experience being in New York City during the pandemic, as well as touch on a few different aspects of owning a gallery that are more opaque, such as the primary costs and challenges of owning a gallery, how competitive the current landscape is for them, and what are the keys to a successful long-term relationship with artists. So in this week's episode of the podcast, we chat with Robert Dimon, partner at Denny Dimon Gallery, which is located in Tribeca, New York City, and they also have a space in Hong Kong. We hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Adam, thank you for having me. Of course. I'm really happy we were able to make this happen. So first, for our listeners who aren't familiar with Denny Dimon Gallery, tell us a little bit about when you established the gallery and really how does it fit in within the gallery ecosystem in New York City? Uh, that's a great starting point, Adam. Thank you. Um, so the gallery is nine years old now. Um, it was founded by my business partner, Elizabeth Denny. Um, and when the gallery was founded in 2013, uh, it was on the Lower East Side. It was on Broom Street. And uh, it was just known as Denny Gallery at that time. And as uh, she progressed to about year two, she started realizing that she needed to bring on a partner. Um, simultaneously, I was doing independent curatorial projects and doing some stuff for some other galleries here in the city. And I was thinking I was going to open up my own space. Um, Elizabeth and I were friends. I had actually consigned some works from her uh, in the past for exhibitions I was organizing. And I was talking with her about the logistics of starting a gallery. And um, she really kind of approached me and said, you know, maybe you'd be interested in partnering as opposed to starting your own. And um, I was looking kind of at my data. She was going to into about year three. It was year two and a half when we really picked up the conversation. And basically with my business model, I wasn't going to be seeing any real growth or anything until year three. Um, so essentially, I would be stepping in as a partner of a gallery that kind of hit the very beginning road bumps that, you know, would allow the gallery to kind of grow to the next step. So uh, it took us about four months to kind of hash out a deal. Um, in that period, I was still fundraising for my space. I was almost about to uh, sign a lease on a space for myself, and I agreed to becoming Elizabeth's partner, and I scrapped the idea. So um, Elizabeth and I started working together, and um, I was her partner for several years before we changed the name to Denny Dimming Gallery. We were just really waiting to uh, build on what Elizabeth was building and also have the pre-existing gallery clients get to know me. Um, and then as we were thinking about expansion uh, and growth was when the name kind of shift was going to happen. So in 20. 
2018, we uh, agreed to uh, changing the name. Uh, and this was uh, while we were still in the Lower East Side and we changed the name to Denny Dimon Gallery. And as we agreed to do that, we were also starting to look for a new space. So um, we uh, were early to move to Tribeca. We sought, we identified our location in 2018 uh, and we moved uh, here to Tribeca in early 2019. Uh, it was one of these things where we signed the lease and we had all of the construction done and we shut uh, the gallery on the Lower East Side uh, in the beginning of April of uh, 2019. We were, my partner and I were actually at the Dallas Art Fair. Uh, and then when we got back from the Dallas Art Fair, we uh, closed down the gallery and moved everything to the new construction space that was complete for us, ready to go. So we, we moved to Tribeca. There were about eight to 10 galleries here at that point. Um, obviously, Stefania Bordolami and Postmasters were already here, um, but we had uh, heard that uh, James Cohen in Canada uh, had signed leases, which was part of the impetus for us to move here. Um, basically, you know, this is this goes into the second part of your question, like where we saw ourselves in the ecosystem. Um, you know, we started out as, you know, every other, most other new galleries dealing with emerging talent, dealing with new talent, fresh, fresh artists. Um, Elizabeth identified some of those early artists and I had some artists independently that when I became a partner uh, here, I brought in. Um, we found, both of us found artists the same way initially, which were uh, going to graduate school, uh, open studios and graduate student exhibitions. Um, I, was an artist um, and I actually have an MFA in art. So I had always kind of had an artistic community around me. Um, and that really kind of allowed us to, to select our artists basically from, you know, seeing, uh, seeing their work in, in uh, MFA shows and at MFA open studios, and then uh, giving them an opportunity to show. Um, we moved from the Lower East Side to Tribeca when we were six. And that was a really um, that was a really kind of big transition for us. We um, have been really lucky. Um, a lot of our artists have been very successful, but with a natural progression, um, as opposed to kind of like an overnight superstar success. It's been uh, more slow and steady, um, a more and so slow and steady growth. And I feel that that slow and steady growth has been one of our staying points and one of the things uh, that has has been how we're modeling out the future and how you know we've actually been very successful. It it uh, kind of allowed us to stay under the radar in a lot of ways and really kind of experiment with different kinds of shows and kind of a vision for the gallery, but also trying to build careers of artists that we had time to work with as opposed to sometimes when you're building the career of a young artist and they become an instant superstar, um, you don't have any more time to work with that artist and they get picked up by larger galleries, maybe even galleries that they're not prepared to work with because they don't have the maturity or understanding and they're put into a system. Um, and so um, really it's, it's been this idea of, of slow, steady growth, um, really trying to build institutional relationships. Um, my business partner and I, we both view ourselves as art nerds in a way. Um, she 
Uh, as I said earlier, I have a, an advanced degree in fine art. My business partner has an advanced degree in art history. And um, we really kind of approach doing what we do as an art forward place, um, maybe more so uh, for better or worse in a lot of ways, um, because we are you know, really participating in a, in a huge market. Um, and it would be remiss for a smaller gallery to not realize that they're participating in the same market, essentially as Ace or Gagosian, um, even if it's it's on a, a much smaller scale and we're kind of getting at a, a smaller piece of the pie, if you will. Um, but yeah, so where we see ourselves, you know, we're in an interesting spot right now. Um, the gallery, we're working with a lot of artists that are getting works acquired and placed into museums. Um, and that was what we were really hoping for. We we believe in um, art as a as a lens for the time in which the art is being created. And we both, my partner and I, and I think many of the artists believe that we work with that um, that essentially we uh, um, are providing. You know that we are kind of like the keepers of culture. The gallery. Uh, helps helps all the separate separate galleries around the world kind of help preserve the culture that's being created through uh, placement through institutions or through private collectors that have institutional relationships. And obviously, not every artist that we work with, you know, every piece is going to museums. I mean, that's that's just not where we're at. You know, we're not that's not where we're at now. But you know, hopefully, that's what we're going to in the future. Um, I'd say that we we've never been kind of looked at as like the coolest kids on the block. I think that was also being starting out in the Lower East Side, which I think prides itself on being like a cool kid space. Like that was never really our MO. It was really more about this kind of like engagement in the artistic practice where the artists were also really aware uh, of the history in which the work that they were making stemmed from. So oftentimes, even if the work is aesthetic and pretty or in line with what trends are, Oftentimes when the art is more academic, it it falls flat with a certain group of collectors, which you know sometimes makes it more challenging from a, um, a business growth perspective, but it always means that you get uh, critically focused writers coming in to write about your shows. And it means that you always have these meetings with um, institutions and your artists are getting meetings with curators, even if it doesn't manifest in shows or inclusion in shows, it just allows you to, to be on their radar. Um, so, you know, this was very long winded for a very simple question. So I apologize about that. Um, I, <laughs> no, you did a great <laughs> job introducing us to the gallery and even more interestingly, explaining how the gallery fits into the New York city art world, which is quite complex involving so many different entities, operating at a variety of scales. And it really resonated with me what you said about being slow and steady with artists and their markets and focusing on institutional support, building really that foundation for an artist, right? That's something I hope to see when I'm learning about artists and the galleries they work with and what are their motivations and how are they managing their careers. And to me, that approach is a great sign because it doesn't matter as much if the economy is incredibly strong like it is now or for on the other hand, in the midst of a major correction, because having that long-term approach is so valuable, I think, to ensure the longevity of an artist's career. And on another note, 
you know, I remember visiting you at the new gallery in Tribeca on a few different occasions during the pandemic. And each time I visited, our conversations and our experiences were different based on the severity of the virus. But what was the pandemic experience like for you having a gallery in New York City? And where do things stand now for you? Yeah, the, the, that's a great question. Um, so I, um, I'm from New York. And I was, I, you know, I had this, you know, go down with the ship mentality at the onset of COVID where, you know, I have family that, ha, you know, has a, a house out in eastern Long Island at the at the beach. And, you know, I was encouraged on day one to come out, you know, it's safer, it's quieter, you're not going to have to deal with anything. And I was like, honestly, I, I can't, I need to be here in the city. I need to be able to check on my space, I need to be able to go there. And when it became time to open, I needed to be able to be open. Um, there were a couple of reasons for that. Um, but I think the the most important reason was I New York City is a couple of things, right? You know, at its core, it's, it's cobblestones and its buildings and its architecture. But really, to me, what New York is are the cultural experiences that people get to have while they're here. And one of those cultural experiences is getting to experience, even if it's momentary, great art. And the pandemic at the beginning was really challenging because no public institutions, you know, as, as things were reopening, you know, we, we New York shut down in March and New York was allowed to reopen in very small scale in June, in late June of 2020. And I was, you know, we as a as a as an art gallery, we fall under the umbrella of retail shops. Um, even though we share, you know, art and and cultural ideas to the public, because the work is for sale, um, it's essentially a retail store, no differently than a Gap or whatever. And so in order to foster economies up again, uh, businesses like ours were allowed to reopen. And yet museums were still months away and, uh, and other kinds of, you know, the theater and all these kinds of things. And so I was, uh, I was really adamant about opening and opening safely as soon as I was allowed to. And um, I'm on um, a committee with NADA, um, which is a wonderful organization. And we were doing a lot of conversations on Zoom uh, throughout the beginning of the pandemic and throughout kind of a good portion of that first six months. And everyone was really torn, you know, on opening or not opening. Um, my business partner uh, who has a family, uh, she left the city. And to be honest with you, I, I encouraged anybody in where my head was at, where, although I was like, I'm sinking with the ship. If the ship sinks, I, I thought anybody who had families, I think they made the right decisions by leaving. Um, I just can't imagine being stuck in a city apartment, um, you know, in April and, and, and May of 2020 with kids. It had to be a nightmare. But um, I, I saw this as an opportunity uh, to be one of the only places to provide a cultural escape uh, for people who stayed in New York City. So 
I was, you know, really looking, trying to figure out mathematically what day we would be able to open. I told the artist who uh, we had, who was scheduled for that time slot for that June, July summer exhibition that although it wasn't the ideal time for an exhibition, I like kind of gave him my rah-rah New York City, we need culture, we need, you know, escape. And and to be honest with you, the exhibition that we had up at the time was a really heavy, it, it was a, a, a body of work by Sean Fader. Um, it was two, two, a two-fold exhibition where the front room was a really kind of fun portraits uh, about a specific hashtag about, you know, kind of being queer. And then the back room of the gallery had a much more kind of heavy, dark, sad um, reality, which had to do with um, uh, basically the uh, the murders of um, people that were gay in the early 2000s and its relationship to digital uh, digital photography and these kinds of things. And um, the project was supposed to open in conjunction, you know, with the 50th anniversary of Pride and it was going to be a celebratory, but then also somber moment. And it kind of took on a new new place. And this artist who's also very much uh, a diehard New Yorker understood my my sentimentality about making sure that we were open and that we were going to be one of the only cultural destinations that people had access to if there were people who needed to escape uh, into the art space briefly. And so I opened, I, I opened at the end of June of 2020 and we've been open since. Um, and, you know, it's, it was really, um, it was pretty exciting at that point, you know, um, just to be able to come back to work every day. Uh, where, you know, people would come, you know, scared as heck, like, and rightfully so, but people would make appointments and we would, you know, it'd be two people at a time in the space and we would stand on opposite ends of the gallery talking. Um, and I just, that, that moment of connection, which is something that I think is what art is about in so many ways. It's about that human to human connection. Um, you know, that was happening and at a very small scale. And, you know, Back to the earlier question about slow and steady and institutional relationships, you know, you know, Sean, very few people came to see that show, but the people that made sure to see it were institutional curators, you know, um, people from the Smithsonian, people from the Albright Knox, you know, people from uh, writers from Freeze Magazine and Art Forum and people who needed to, to just see art again. And, um, just to distract briefly from what the heck was going on in the world. And it was really exciting because Sean was included, uh, that the body of work was included in a major exhibition that just happened at the Albright Knox. And, you know, had we not done the show at that time, although the curator had been watching this artist for a long time, if the body of work had not been released, it would not have been included in that particular institutional exhibition. And there were other museum curators that saw that show that are now thinking about, you know, permanent acquisitions of the entire body of work that was made for that show. And, you know, it was, it was something that it was a really challenging thing. I know I put people at risk. I know I, I, but we really tried to open up carefully and safely. And, you know, then we moved forward and other galleries slowly started opening again up that summer. And then there was a brief time in that in September 
of 2020 where it felt normal briefly. You know, everyone was open. People were going to openings and standing outside comfortably around people without masks. And, you know, and then, you know, people, then as the winter progressed, as we came fall and winter, things got crazy again. Um, From a market perspective, you know, which I think is important to understand, we all, and when I say we all, I, I mean the people on that committee that I was talking with at NADA, I think we all thought that our industry was over. Um, I think we thought that, like, we all remember 20, 2008 when the financial crisis hit. Um, we have memories of other moments in, in in New York City and in our lifetimes where, you know, 9-11, most of us weren't in the business at that time, but we still remember what happened. I mean, I was here in New York then, so I remember how the city shut down and these kinds of things. But, um, you know, but other other than that quick kind of, like, March, what the hell is going on in the world? You know, come the middle of April, sales started coming again. Um, And we had a lot less expense. We, you know, we, um, you know, employees left. Um, We didn't have to pay, you know, we cut deals with our landlords. We, um, you know, didn't have to participate in art fairs. So there was all of, you know, from a, a, gallery operational expense perspective, we were down, like cut, you know, cut on off operational expenses and, and sales continued. Um, so 2020, um, although not a gangbusters year, not the year that we thought it was going to be, um, we ended up making money. We ended up having growth from, well, you know, we didn't have growth from 2019, but we didn't, um, we had growth from 2018. 2019 was a particularly strong year, but but we ended the year in a much better place than we anticipated. Uh, and then 2021 happened. And again, it was in and out with the masks and the protocols and and these kinds of things. And, and, and 2021 ended up being a really stellar year. We had tremendous growth from 2020. We had growth from 2019. Uh, the gallery, you know, turned a profit and, uh, you know, and, and many of my artists were able to be fully sustainable on their art sales through the gallery. And ultimately, I think that's what we try to do on top of institutional things. There's, there's nothing better as a, as a business owner than knowing that I'm able to help sustain the lives of 15 people and then their staff and all of these kinds of things. You know, that's cutting a big check, you know, at the end of a show, knowing that, an artist studio and mortgage and rain payments and whatever are covered for the next two years of their life. I mean, that's like, that's a really satisfying and fulfilling, you know, it, it's that that's part of the good of my job, you know? Um, and then, yeah, but so, but so back to it, you know, it's, it was, it was surprising. 2021 was a very successful year. I think most uh, galleries are in the same boat. I think that if you were smart about what to show and, thought about it and and careful and were consistent you know you had a good year um and now as we enter 2022 i've my first quarter is going to be probably the largest first quarter the galleries had in the history of of business i i you know we still have another month left but we're still on track to really outperform even our expectations and our projections for what 2022 q1 was going to look like um yeah, and we uh, we expanded. We had ex- started exploring an Asian presence in 2019. Uh, we have one of our 
original investors, um, a young British couple uh, moved to Hong Kong several years ago and um, they have three kids. And when the kids were old enough, our partner there um, was interested in kind of doing some projects. Uh, and so we, in 2019, we were using their apartment in the mid-levels to host exhibitions and events. And we were doing pop-up exhibitions. And when COVID started, we had to shut that down uh, because no one was going to um, let people into their homes, nor should they have during COVID. And, um, you know, but over 2020 and 2021, we were getting a lot of financial support, a lot of buyers from Asia, Hong Kong and China in particular. And we thought that it was a really good idea to see if we could find a brick and mortar space and relaunch the, the, the project there. And so... In January, we reopened up a space. Um, right now, Hong Kong uh, today, to be honest, uh, Hong Kong's in a very precarious moment where you know they're essentially making it nearly impossible for people to travel around the city for the next couple of months. So we're going to have to reassess what the short term is for our project in Hong Kong. Um, but um, we, you know, uh, anticipate staying there for the long haul. Um, but we know that there's going to have to be a little bit of, of uh, putting things on pause for a couple of weeks while um, while they're doing this kind of mass testing. Uh, and, you know, I don't know uh, how up on the news people are, but there's some kooky stuff going on in Hong Kong right now. So Yeah, we're absolutely following what's going on in Hong Kong. And it's really disheartening and a little bit frightening you know, we've really turned a corner in so many places with the virus. It's just a shame that cases are rising there. And I think the vaccine isn't as effective as it is in the U.S. or Europe. Uh, to shift gears a bit, you touched on a lot of very interesting things, including how the gallery is doing financially during the pandemic. And I would love to ask you about the gallery business model, which I think is very interesting, but quite opaque for those who don't own a gallery. For you, what are the primary costs and challenges of operating a gallery, especially in a place like New York City? And ultimately, how do you grow as a gallery? Yeah, those those are great questions. Um, you know, the the biggest expense, you know, people I think would instantly say is rent. Exactly. Um, I'm gonna say that rent rent is number two. Um, even though most people would quickly say rent is number one, I, I think that the the most important thing is staff. Um, I think, uh, having a good team of people, a good, um, preparator and art handler team, uh, is necessary. Having a gallery manager, making sure that the division of labor of your staff and that people are paid fairly. Um, I think that that is a huge challenge in New York because people, the cost of living in New York is very, very expensive and what galleries can afford and what are industry standards for payment are low. Um, one of the things that we do is we provide benefits, we provide health insurance, we provide uh, a 401k and retirement options and you know all of these kinds of things that we know that larger galleries than us don't. Um, and part of the reason I think we do that is it's a way for us to sustain our team. Uh, so they don't have to worry about 
shopping for health insurance and and doing these kinds of things. Um, and, you know, we have a small staff still. We're only a staff of six and a half or something like that. And we're going to be taking on more people as we move forward. Um, but, you know, so other than staffing and making sure you have good people, is then, then it's the rent expense. And for us, we got very lucky with our timing. Um, we were looking and we were, you know, going back to when we signed our lease, Tribeca was still not the gallery neighborhood. Uh, it was actually, uh, although our zip code, the 1013 is consistently in the highest residential earners uh, in the world uh, consistently for like the past 25 years. And I think the real estate values like apartments are the most expensive or at least the most expensive downtown. Um, for several years, the storefronts laid vacant. And because there was incentive incentives for building owners to get tax rebates on not getting rent. And that's a whole other like New York City issue. Um, but those laws shifted and a lot of the landlords realized that they needed in order to sustain the residential real estate value, there needed to be good stores, good shops in their vacant, um, in their vacant storefronts. And, Simultaneously that that was going on, uh, the galleries in Chelsea, which we were not, but the galleries in Chelsea were starting to be unhappy with their neighborhood, whether it be for other residential that was being built or whatever they're negotiating with their landlords came to. And then for us being on the Lower East Side, uh, our space, we had grown like way out of our space. Our space was like 550 square feet. And we were, you know, our artists, in order to keep them happy, there, there needs to be more wall space, there needs to be bigger exposure. And, you know, so it was time for us to leave. And at that point, uh, price per square foot in Tribeca was cheaper than price per square foot in the Lower East Side by nearly $50 per foot. And it was even less expensive per foot than it was in Chelsea. Um, so we saw this as a huge opportunity where basically we, our gallery increased by 100% in size um, and in 100% in storage space, but our rent increase was only like 30%. And so we got really, really, really lucky. Um, and we knew that there was going to be... Um, we knew that there was going to be growth in the neighborhood. We didn't anticipate the level of rapid growth that had happened you know now like when we moved i think there were eight galleries in the neighborhood uh and now i think today it's close to 60 and i've had conversations with other dealers and heard rumors about other galleries moving that i anticipate you know probably by september all things if things continue the way they're going will be hovering around 75 galleries in this neighborhood um and so you know, to, to your question about the next question about growth, like we're finding ourselves now, even though we, you know, we signed um, a lease that was about seven years and we re recently renegotiated the terms of that lease to extend it another 10 years on top of where we were at. Um, just because there were lots of reasons that that happened. Um, but one of the, re you know, one of the things that we were talking about is we were concerned that, you know, we're no longer going to have enough, you know, the space is going to be too small for us in the next six months. And it will definitely be 
choose well for us in the next 10 years. Um, but how then do we grow? You know, and obviously there are lots of ways to think about that. Um, for us, something that we're considering, you know, there, um, our building itself has been subdivided into four spaces. It was, uh, when we came and signed the lease, it was a double, it was double wide our width and went all the way to Canal Street. So we don't know the terms of other people's leases, but there's a commercial sneaker shop on the other side, on the Canal Street side of my space. And there is another gallery, uh, which shares my address on the other side of the wall. Um, you know, so one option is trying to figure out how to take over someone else's lease. Um, that's maybe not realistic, but that's something that could be explored um, or something that a lot of galleries that we look up to are doing is they're taking a space on the second floor or a third floor of another building in the neighborhood. And that's something I think that is more realistic that um, we would be very interested in considering um, on the sooner than, than later side, which is maybe looking for upstairs space uh, somewhere in Tribeca. Um, we're not, we're not going to do that now um, because our, our expansion, at least for the first half of this year, was Hong Kong. Um, but it is definitely something that we're exploring. And, you know, I'm, 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 uh, like, I think a lot of people that live in New York, there's a hobby of looking into real estate prices and looking at real estate regardless. So I'm always looking at, you know, online and at spaces just to see if something comes up that would be perfect. Um, I also know a lot of real estate developers, like I know people who own a lot of buildings and people in the neighborhood in particular that own buildings and work in the real estate business. So, you know, they always send stuff our way to, um, but, um, you know, but, but back to it, I really do think that that staffing is key and then, and then space comes second. And then there are so many other expenses, like storage is a massive expense. Um, you know, uh, one thing that I didn't, answer is really kind of the the how the gallery business functions and how a primary gallery business functions is that is that something that you want me to talk about a little bit yeah i think most of our listeners are familiar but that would be great if you can show your perspective on the intricacies of how exactly it works cool so um uh i still for those people who are not aware you know we are we are a primary gallery so we um show work that we get consigned, uh, direct consignment from an artist. And that's pretty standard where the artists uh, contract the work uh, to the galleries uh, at a split that's typically 50-50. Oftentimes if there are fabrication expenses put into it, there are other terms added, uh, whether it's framing or helping with sculptures or helping with certain kinds of complicated installations. And then uh, and then we, as a gallery, provide uh, our space and our resources and our our energy to get that work out there and seen in the location in our virtual platforms. Uh, and we share the work in PDFs to our clients and to our institutional contacts. And we, you know, kind of do massive uh, PR pushes often to try to get writers in to cover the shows and. It's really, uh, it's really kind of providing both a space, but also a real partnership with an artist to kind of get the work out there. Um, and that's how most smaller galleries function is this kind of relationship where it's, it's pr- strictly primary and that it's consignment based and there's a 50-50 split 
and that's how it works. And then we have a representational model where we work with artists and, you know, help them kind of navigate other partnerships with other galleries. And we loan things out to institutions and we loan things out to other exhibitions uh, through kind of contracts and consignments and things like this. Um, and then something I think that a lot of larger galleries do and stuff that we have been working and growing is a little bit of a secondary market component, which is either uh, buying works um, that we believe uh, will have financial value or identifying secondary market pieces for clients that other people we know have and trying to sell them. Um, and so that's something that we are adding uh, really privately um, you know, it's not something that we're going to advertise on our website. Anyone who is listening to uh, this podcast is welcome to contact me if they have any questions. But, you know, it's it's something that we're still kind of navigating and working through. And I've been starting to work through really since 2018, 2019, you know, adding a little bit of secondary into into the mix. So that is, as I said, you know, could happen in different ways, whether through direct ownership or just identifying pieces that clients want to sell. Participating in the secondary market is certainly another way to expand and grow as a gallery. You know, you mentioned when you were initially starting the gallery, you were finding artists, you'd go to grad school shows, learn about artists from other artists. I'm curious in this very robust market, how has finding artists changed, if it has at all? Is it more difficult because maybe you have more competition from other galleries or is it easier in certain ways? And I'm curious also, has Instagram helped or hurt with the discovery of artists from a gallery perspective? Yeah, I mean, that that's a really great question. Um, that's a, it, it is a very challenging market to find new artists. Um, and we're, you know, to be honest, we're really not, we're not really looking so much for the new hot thing. Um, well, and I think it's interesting because it's not just galleries, but even collectors are looking at these young artists more than they ever have and contacting them while they're still in school and trying to get works and visiting them. Totally. Um, yeah, we're, it's one of the things that like, we're trying to, although that like we have, you know, we are starting to work with a couple of younger artists. Really what we're starting to do is we're doubling down on a lot of the artists that we work with. And we're also looking, um, to maybe overlook generations. Um, you know, there's an artist that we're gonna be, that we showed in our summer show uh, where we placed her work with the Philadelphia Museum of Art. She has shown, you know, she had a solo museum show at the Art Institute of Chicago. She's in every major museum collection. And several years ago, her New York gallery closed. And, you know, we had a really positive experience with this artist. So. She's, you know, an artist that we're adding to our roster and we're going to be giving her an exhibition in, uh, in next January, in January of 2023. So like for us, rather than trying to find, you know, and, and then we do have a hot young artist that we're working with as well, who also is going to have a solo show in 2023 here in New York, but like, we're really much more interested in client relationship with our existing artists, right? Like if then trying to build a career and make, you know, a whole lot of money quickly, because ultimately too, with these kind of fresh, fresh talent, the prices of the works are not sustainable for what we need to do numbers wise right now, because like at most, if you bring on like, let's call it uh, 
let's just call it X artist. Let's not, let's not give them a name or a gender. You, you bring on X artists. They just finished Yale. Right. So like, what, what do you, the large paintings are six, 7,000 bucks. So you sell 12 paintings. You're lucky if you get another 12 paintings at a similar price point. And then they get picked up by a gallery like Piraten real quick because then Piraten can do something that my gallery can't do, which is take an artist and add zeros at an, at an irrational pace. Not because, you know, not because the work isn't valuable, but the minute that they go into a blue chip gallery that is selling multiple million dollar paintings, it, it, it adds that, you know, 10 X or 20 X or whatever it is. So, for us, again, back to this notion of slow and steady, like I'm, I'm happier making sure that I'm spending that effort on an artist to get them in university museum collections, to get them smaller museum shows that get proper catalogs by like the top PhD students who are then going to become you know, the curators at the Whitney and the MoMA in, in 10 years, because I'm really kind of looking at this as a, as a long-term, I joke with people and I, I say that I have like the Warren Buffett model of collecting and the Warren Buffett model of, of making, uh, of working with artists' careers where it's like, it's lifetime stuff that I'm thinking, right? I'm thinking that, you know, if my relationship works really well with an artist, that and I can get the placements and grow things organically that I will be able to work with these artists for forever. I mean, realistically, I know that that's not the case. And and ultimately, on some levels, we do want galleries, artists, gallery artists to be working with the Gagosians and the Zwerners until we get there. And we're still a long time away from being that that gallery, you know, like, you know, we're still years in away from being in the blue chip sentence. I do think that ultimately that is our goal is to become a more um, institutionally minded blue chip gallery, but we still have, you know, we still have years of hard work to get there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I also don't, young artists are really challenging because they have a million voices in their head. They should be sleeping around in a way where they're out there testing waters to see what partnerships work for them. Um, you know, what, what things don't work for them. Uh, and, and honestly, like, I'm really happy kind of with the notion of career building on people who have careers. Like, I don't want to be responsible for burning an artist out. I, you know, kind of, I was in this hybrid place of artist and art dealer when everything happened with Lucian Smith, where, you know, his work kind of came on the scene, became tremendously valuable and then lost its value. And so like, to me, I have this lesson really kind of deeply embedded in me on like how to behave, you know, what's realistic, what's unrealistic in, in the industry, regardless if it means that you could like have exponential short-term wealth. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't need that. Like, you know, and like granted, like, you know, you miss out on opportunities. Like I'll never be able to own certain artists, you know, at least for the next 25 years of my life because I missed out on the chance to get that work when it was six or seven or $10,000. Um, but that's okay. There's always a, a great artist uh, that I can find. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm sorry to, again, to be 
long on this, but I'm, I'm not, I'm more interested in, in working with someone who knows how the business works a little bit. Um, it's, it's more, I think it's more rewarding or a little bit less frustrating because it's those first couple of years out of school, out of undergrad or grad school, or when you're entering the marketplace, they're very exciting and for artists and really, you know, and so much going on and so many things that are new that being a dealer for them becomes tremendously frustrating. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. And then you get angry at people that you want to, you know, see succeed which is really negative, you know, can become a negative experience. And then like you start hating the system that you're participating in. And I don't, I think we're one of the things I think that we're very lucky about is that we get to wake up every morning and work in the art world. I mean, it is like, we are blessed. Like it is, we get to work with artists. We get to look at art. We get to travel around the world and, and go to exhibitions and go to museums and do studio visits. And we get to talk about art all day. Like how cool and not boring is that, you know? And, and I don't want to hate what I do. And what I see happens with the frenzy is you just get burnt out and tired and you see, you start seeing the darkest side of people because money money becomes this corrupture where it doesn't need to be. That's a really interesting response. And ultimately, there are many paths for a gallery, right? And through your own experiences and from seeing the experiences of others, you've figured out the strategy you want to take with the gallery, which may be different from others. And so lastly, I want to ask you about the artist-gallery relationship. I've spoken to some artists about this, and it seems the dynamics of this relationship are really all over the map in terms of how they work together, how effective of a team they are, who's responsible for what exactly. What do you think are some of the most important aspects of a gallery artist relationship in order for an artist to achieve a long-term successful career? Wow, that's a that's a really complex question, and I, and I don't think that there's a, I don't think that that there's one roadmap, right? I think that there are multiple, I think that there are multiple ways to get that long sustainable career. But I think real partnerships, um, I think trust, uh, I think trust is key. Um, and a mutual respect for the expertise. Uh, but also, I think gallerists need to listen. Um, we need to listen to the wants and the needs and the expectations of the artist. And then the artist needs to be able to listen to the restraints of the system that we're participating in that we that we see. And sometimes those restraints um, that are maybe not real but perceived by the gallery could be hindrances to the individual growth that the artist sees for themselves. And sometimes um, you know, it, it's a it's a checks and balance system, right? Um, but but ultimately, it, it it's about this notion that we're partners, an artist in a gallery, but then also, in many ways, to the artist or a client to the gallery, and you know, we have to work for. I have to work for my clients, you know, and if I'm not listening to what my artist wants, and if I'm not communicating and doing the best that I can for what they want, then they should not want me as a partner and not want to be my client. And, and that's it. Um, 
So I think that that that's really it. I think a communication strategy. I think you know talking whether you know some artists need to talk be talked to twice a week. Some artists need to be talked to twice a month. You know some you don't need to speak to for six months. Um, but it's it's really about communicating. It's really about um, it's really about also finding opportunities and new things, and really making sure that you're doing the best work for them. And then also that the artist understands and respects the work that the gallery is doing on their behalf, and could also do the work that's necessary um, for their growth if they really have goals to get in certain places. Like no artist is gonna be able to just make paintings or sculpture or whatever their work is and give it to a gallery. And then the gallery is gonna sell it and place it. And then that gallery, that artist is gonna wake up the next morning and have a solo show at the MoMA. It, it's, there's a lot of like external work that an artist has to do outside of the, the studio. Um, and they have to be willing to do that uh, if they want to hit certain career milestones. And you figure out how that works. You don't, you know, not every artist needs to be an extrovert, you know, but every artist does need to put some extra leg work in on top of the painting. And not every dealer needs to kind of be an extrovert either. Um, but we, you know, have a lot of, a lot of, real work that needs to get done and a lot of things, a lot of deliverables for an artist to think that we're doing a good job. And uh, and there need to be realistic expectations and goals. And it's no different than any other business really, where you have to see if you hit those targeted expectations and if not reassess and try to evaluate why you didn't get there and what can be done better. And maybe the partnership isn't the right partnership, you know, period. Maybe, you know, X artist would do better at Y gallery because Y gallery has a relationship with certain collectors that only like to buy a particular kind of work by that particular gallery. And that's, and, and that's it also, like you have to accept that there are things that are out of totally out of your control and that there are forces at, at play that you can't, that you can't direct and you have to just take your losses and you know, take the take the failures and the things that didn't work out in stride and allow those to, to build on future relationships. Rob, thanks so much for coming out of the podcast. We really appreciated hearing your insights on the several aspects of owning an art gallery, especially in New York City. Tell us what do you have coming up now and in the short term at the gallery? Yeah, so uh, this is the last week of Getaway by Jesse Edelman. It ends on Saturday. Uh, it's a really, uh, great show. It's at Jesse's third exhibition, uh, with us, got a great review in the New York times by Roberta Smith, which was really exciting. Uh, and then next up we have, uh, our first solo show with an artist named Stephen Thorpe. Uh, Stephen is originally from the UK. We did a project with him actually in Hong Kong through our virtual platform, uh, last year. And we thought it would be really fun to give him an opportunity to have a solo show here in New York that opens uh, the first week of March. Uh, and then our next, we have a group show in Hong Kong and our next exhibition in Hong Kong is a solo show by Amir Fala. Perfect. We're looking forward to checking those out. Thanks so much again, Rob. 
Yeah, Adam, thank you for, for reaching out. This was real fun.